Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.com. On our show today, brought to you in part by Azai and Morphotech, we'll be talking about the impact a person's race has on their breast cancer diagnosis and experience. Uh, A person's experience with a breast cancer diagnosis or treatment, the risk of dying, is very different depending upon the race of that patient. Uh, This is a concept that has been on the minds of many for a number of years. Uh, Dr. Stephen Whitman, director of the Sinai Health Institute, Jennifer uh, Orzi, Senior Data Coordinator of the Chicago Breast Cancer Quality Consortium, and Mark Hurlbert, Executive Director of the Avon Foundation's Global Breast Cancer Programs, work together to complete a study to thoroughly analyze the issue. Uh, in particular, they looked at, at deaths due to breast cancer and the details related to the race of the individual. Their work really revealed some striking differences that should be further evaluated and, and acted upon. And today, we'll be talking about their results, what it means for patients across the country, and ways in which we all might play a role in, in positively changing these dynamics that we're going to learn about on the show today. So I, I want to introduce our two guests, the two study researchers, uh, to discuss their findings. First, we have Mark Holbert, Executive Director of the Avon Foundation Breast Cancer Crusade. The Crusade, uh, which has programs in 58 countries, provides more than $50 million to breast cancer philanthropy annually. Since the Crusade launched in 1992, Avon Breast Cancer Programs have raised more than $740 million to support research and advance access to care regardless of a person's ability to pay. They've educated 100 million women on breast health and linked millions of women to mammography, screening, and uh, if needed, treatment. So thanks for being here with us, Mark. And thanks for having us on your call today. We're also here with Dr. Stephen Whitman of the Sinai Urban Health Institute. In 1991, Dr. Whitman was recruited to the Chicago Department of Public Health to organize and direct the program on epidemiology. And while there he focused his efforts on public health issues, and in March of 2000, Dr. Whitman was hired to create the Urban Health Institute, a part of Mount Sinai Hospital in Chicago. He is in charge of all evaluations of health interventions and ongoing programs, as well as community-based epidemiology. Glad you're with us, Dr. Whitman. Thanks so much, Kim. It's great to be here. So I'm going to start with you, um, uh, Dr. Whitman. I know we're going to drill down through the show on a lot of the different details um, of the study, but uh, since some of our listeners are just joining us, can you share with us the, the, the top-line results of the study? Well, um, sure. We, we um, at the Sinai Urban Health Institute here in Chicago, are frequently looking to understand what social factors are uh, influencing health in the communities that we serve. Mount Sinai is located in a poor community, and um, so we're often studying how the environment, how social issues like poverty and racism uh, play into people's health, and then thinking about what we can do to improve it. Uh, One of the areas that we found um, great differences say, in this case, between black women and white women is with respect to death from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that in Chicago, our researchers revealed, and it was the first time that anyone pointed this out, that although white women get breast cancer more than black women, black women die of it a lot more. And so that's the basic framework uh, for this current study. So, so I know you did this larger study, but I understand that so, so you conducted a, a smaller version of this, this study on, on a one-city scale in Chicago that gave you the, the, the framework for the study. What was the, what was the timing of that? Tell us a little bit about that initial study that then led to this larger national study. Yeah, well, about five years ago, um, we uh, implemented this study, funded, by the way, by the Avon Foundation. Uh, and 
We studied the death rates from breast cancer uh, for black women in Chicago and for white women in Chicago, and we studied the rates over time, so beginning in 1980 all the way through uh, to 2005. And what we found was that black women had much higher rates, uh, death rates from breast cancer than white women did. Uh, in fact, in 2005, the rates for black women were twice as high as they were for white women. And as I mentioned a little earlier, that, of course, is not only terrible, uh, but um, it indicates a serious problem because white women actually get breast cancer more than black women. All right, so let's drill down. Obviously, our listeners are, are going to want to know why. Right. What, what were the reasons? What, what did you evaluate, and what did you learn from the study in terms of why that statistic is true? Well, we, we never identified exactly the precise cause, but what we noticed is that as the rates uh, changed over time from 1980 to 2005, it's a 25-year interval, uh, the rates for black women never changed over time. I mean, they, they went up and down just a little bit, but by and large remained constant. On the other hand, the rates for white women went way down during that interval. And when we studied it further, it appeared that the rates for white women started going down around the mid-1990s. And that was just when we as a society began to get really good at uh, treating breast cancer and at early detection with mammography. So what happened was that white women were able to gain access to those improvements and their rates went way down, their death rates from breast cancer, but black women were not able to gain access to their improvements and so there was no change at all, no improvement whatsoever in the death rates from breast cancer. So again, it probably goes to why, to why, to why the drill. You know, the drill down on the conversation. Right. What can you, what can you tell us? You know, societally, well, I, or at least in Chicago, about about the why. What, what, yeah. What's happening with regard to even that access question? Well, there's there's two questions. One one is specifically why Kim, as you're saying, and and what we concluded, and by the we, I mean not only just people at Mount Sinai, but the entire breast cancer community in Chicago mm. came together to form the Metropolitan Chicago Breast Cancer Task Force, uh, representing virtually every uh, institution in the city that's interested in this issue. And what we concluded was that there were three major reasons. One is that black women did not have enough access to mammography mm -hmm. because that in turn is related to health insurance and questions of poverty. Mm -hmm. uh, we also found that even when uh, black women and poor women in general were getting mammograms, the mammograms were uh, frequently of inferior quality. And so, for example, cancers were being missed during the breast cancer process. And the third reason had to do with access to treatment. So it was harder, again, for reasons of insurance and poverty, for black women to get into treatment uh, quickly enough for them to receive excellent treatment and for them, in fact, to be able to complete the treatment. So there are all of these factors combining to produce this very large disparity or difference in breast cancer mortality. So, Dr. Whitman, is there any... Um, it, so we're learning a lot in, in cancer research about the biology, uh, about of an individual's biology and how it might impact the cancer if we overexpress a certain gene, uh, for example, or have a certain family history, for example. Any, um, any uh, understanding of any biological elements in, in terms of the data that you're describing? Well, we ourselves didn't study uh, the biological component. It's been estimated that the biological component uh, might account for on the order of 10% mm -hmm. of this disparity in breast cancer mortality between black women and white women. Mm -hmm. But the disparity itself is about 100%. Mm -hmm. So that even if the biological factor didn't exist, we would still have a huge disparity on the order of about 90%. Also, since the disparity uh, has just opened up recently, say in 1995, uh, there clearly can't be any biological or genetic changes that have taken place sure. since 1995. Sure. So the, the dynamic, the disparity that we're observing uh, must be a function 
uh, of medical issues, access to medical care, and, and excellent medical care. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, Mark, let me pull you into the conversation here. How did the Avon Foundation um, become in, involved in this study? What, what is the foundation's interest in this work? Yeah, so uh, first of all, we were funding some of the early work Dr. Whitman described in Chicago only, mm-hmm. and were, you know, shocked and... and uh, and uh, was the, we were the, the leading or the initial founder of the Metropolitan Task Force that Dr. Whitman described in Chicago, and that work is ongoing, and we're, we're hoping that we're making good progress in solving this problem in Chicago, but we, uh, you know, we're a national, international foundation, and um, you know, I was pressing Dr. Whitman and his team, you know, this is great, the work that you're doing in Chicago, you know, keep up that good work, but is there a way we could get involved and see what's going on in other parts of the country? And so collectively, we looked at what was feasible, and then, and then, uh, then did this study in the 25 largest U.S. cities, you know, finding that 21 of the 25 had a disparity, and uh, not surprisingly, you know, that, that, that the disparity was across the country. You know, uh, to the last point that Dr. Whitman made about biology, you know, we, we find it, uh, again, you know, another, another point that it's not likely due to biological differences um, is the fact that the disparity varies from from city to city, that some cities are doing much worse than others, and others are doing better. And so from the Avon Foundation's point of view, that's actually a, a, a good thing, because we can learn from the cities that are doing better, understand how their public health and uh, their healthcare systems, what, what are they doing that's different than a city that's doing worse? And um, we can learn from the ones that are doing well and then try to extrapolate the best learnings where it makes sense to other, other places. Mark, I know we're going to drill down on the on, on the cities and see what we can learn from that. But just uh, uh, I'm just curious, and when when you saw these differences in cities with this question of breast cancer, did did those cities track um, in the same way or trend in the same way in other healthcare issues? I mean, are the cities that are worse in breast cancer worse in healthcare overall, or what kind of trend did you did you see in that regard? Yeah, so there is some. I think there, you know, there is some overlap with, for example, cities that don't do great in caring for people with diabetes or that have high rates of um, infant mortality or childhood asthma. Right. I know, uh, Dr. Whitman, do you want to comment on anything about that? Right. I I think um, that's for sure correct. Um, I think the the thing to mention, though, is that this kind of analysis, and I know we're going to talk about it in greater detail, Mm -hmm. I think is very helpful in terms of locating where there are troubling disparities in health problems. And that's why we first did it in Chicago, and that's why Avon supported that and has supported now expanding it to these 25 bigger cities. But a corollary of that related to that is the fact that these analyses are very hard to do and don't often get done with respect to other diseases. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that not only will this analysis uh, enlighten us a lot about breast cancer and breast cancer disparities, and as Mark said, where we could do better and how we could do better, but that other people will begin to replicate this model and study other diseases, uh, diabetes, heart disease, asthma, yeah. and on and on and on like that. Mm-hmm. So this uh, has been a unique study. Uh, as far as I know, it's the first of its kind, uh, but I am hoping that many other studies will follow behind it Great. like this. Right. It could very well be a model for some, for, for some other disease areas. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about uh, racial disparities in, uh, in breast cancer and, and looking at a very important study that uh, has analyzed some of these disparities. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Millennium and Amgen Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today I'm joined by Mark Hurlbert and Dr. Stephen Whitman. We're talking about the role that race plays in deaths uh, associated with breast cancer. Uh, I want to welcome back uh, Mark and, uh, and Steve Whitman. Uh, Mark, uh, let's, let's dive into the results of this study um, a little bit more to discuss what you found. What, what were, can we highlight the major overall findings uh, from the study and maybe drill down a little bit on how the study was conducted? Yeah, so again, so we looked at uh, the, the death rates um, from breast cancer per capita in the 25 largest cities and um, looked at the mortality from breast cancer in black women versus white women. And what we found was that in 21 of the cities, the mortality rate was higher uh, for black women. And in 13 of those, it was statistically significant, though. But I think important was that in 21 of the 24 cities, there was this trend for um, a higher mortality rate from breast cancer in in black women. And um, I'll actually let Dr. Whitman comment on the actual methods and procedures, because, again, this is a fairly unique approach and Right. Very labor intensive. And Mark, do you know off the top of your head the four cities that were not? Yes. Uh, so the cities that were not were um, San Francisco, um, San Jose, California, um, Detroit, and I can't remember the fourth one. Um, but uh, this is a topic we can explore a little bit further. Yeah. Detroit uh, is a good example of a topic which we should delve a little deeper on. Um, there, there was no disparity. But uh, actually, that's because the mortality rate from breast cancer was terribly high and unacceptably high for both black women and white women. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so hence, there's no disparity. But the mortality rate was was high for both types. Right. So it's the it's it's the bad bad news. Correct. <laughs> In a city like Detroit, it's not that we're doing better there. We're actually doing worse there across all yep. all groups. Absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so, Dr. Whitman, can you talk to us a little bit more about the study? Yeah. What well, what we did was it, it's it's complicated to compute these breast cancer rates. And so what we did was we obtained from the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, uh, death files for the entire United States. And we then selected um, the 25 largest cities in the United States, and we said we'd study them. See, the the question, it, it goes back uh, to our study of Chicago, because when we found that the disparity was so large in Chicago, roughly 100%, um, we then looked in, and calculated what the disparity was in the United States as a whole, and it was about 40%. Mm-hmm. So the question then became, okay, if it's 40% in the United States and 100% in Chicago, what is it in other cities? Mm-hmm. And so we said, well, let's take a look at this by looking at the 25 biggest cities in the country. 
So we, we found out which ones those were from the United States Census. And then we obtained uh, these death certificate files from CDC, Census for Disease Control. And for each city, we calculated the breast cancer mortality rate for black women and for white women living in those cities. And then what we did was, and this might get a little complicated, but I think it's okay, is we uh, took those rates and we divided the black rate by the white rate. Okay. So ideally, uh, if the uh, quotient, the result of the division, came out to be one, that would mean there was no disparity because the black rate and the white rate would be the same. Okay. To the extent the black rate was larger than the white rate, then there would be a bigger disparity. And to the extent that the white rate was bigger than the black rate, there would be a smaller disparity. In fact, a disparity less than one. Okay. So it turned out, as Mark said, that of the 25 cities, mm-hmm. 21 of them had a disparity that was bigger than one. That is, the black death rate for breast cancer was higher than the white death rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so, Dr. Whitman, we've got um, listeners uh, from all over the country right. who I'm sure want to know, hey, what's going on in my city? Right. So could we give a few examples of um, uh, some of the cities that were had the highest disparity and some of the cities that had the lowest uh, disparity based on your analysis? Yep. Uh, the city, the city among the 25 with the highest disparity was actually Memphis. Hmm. Um, and they had a disparity that was 109%. And then the next city with the second largest disparity was Denver, and then came L.A., then Houston, and then Chicago. Mm -hmm. So, again, you know, all we knew when we did the study was that Chicago's disparity was very high, and, and that, in fact, was true, but actually there were four cities that had higher disparities, bigger disparities, worse disparities than Chicago did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do we know, are there any um, any trends that we can pick up on in these cities or anything that we know about these particular cities that would put them in this top, sort of top five ranking? Well, that's a great question. And we, that is Mark and myself and Avon and Mount Sinai, are just beginning to look into that. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, Mark and I have been invited by health officials in the city of Memphis to come there and discuss this with them. And so in a couple of weeks, we're, we're going there and we're going to spend 24 hours with them trying to work this through and understand why the disparity is so big. Uh, We've also uh, been interviewed frequently uh, by Denver, which has been shocked, I think, by this large disparity. Uh, And we hope to drill down and try to understand the specific causes of the disparity. Now, we we did, in general, uh, look at which factors in influence the disparity, and I could tell you that, but I thought, Kim, you might be interested in which cities had low disparities. Or, or, yeah, let's, or, go there for, let's go there for a minute and see what we okay. can learn about that. Well, the city with the lowest disparity was San Francisco, and in San Francisco, um, white women actually had a higher rate than black women. So San Francisco has no racial disparity in breast cancer mortality, which is a wonderful thing. Right. And in that case, right. there was no disparity because both white women and black women did very well. That is, they both had low rates. Now, the next city, the next lowest uh, disparity was in Detroit, as Mark mentioned. Mm-hmm. And once again, the ratio of the two rates was very close to one. That is, the black rate and the, and the white rate were about the same. But for the exact opposite reason. But for the exact Francisco. opposite reason, Kim, that's exactly right. And that's because both black women and white women are doing terribly in mm-hmm. Detroit. So they both had very high rates, and they were about the same. Uh, and then the next city uh, that had um, a, a disparity close to one, that is no disparity, was San Jose. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and then uh, and then came Seattle and then Fort Worth. But the city that's really notable on this list, I, I mean, aside from the high rates, but uh, a city with a very, very low disparity was New York City. And that's worth mentioning and, and, and you know, singling out for attention because, of course, New York is, is so large. Right. And has so much to deal with, and yet they seem to have figured out how to um, treat black women and white women, at least with respect to breast cancer, uh, equally. So they're doing well, doing well like a San Francisco? Well, there's in between. They're right in the middle. That's another mm-hmm. great question. Uh, they're right in the middle between San Francisco and Detroit. Mm-hmm. So um, both black women and white women are not doing particularly well, and they're not doing particularly badly, and they're doing about the same. Equally, right? Yeah, equally. equally. Okay. Yeah. And again, I think it's what you're saying is so important because New York City is, what, more than 8 million? Yes. Right? The largest city in terms of population in the country. Right. More than 8 million. San Francisco is more along the lines of uh, under a million, if I... if I. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. under a million, and, compa- and in, in that sense, comparatively small compared to right. these other large cities. Right. So right. that, so, you know, singling out those and understanding uh, the extremes, I think, you already helps us begin to think about the problem, because clearly... Uh, the size of the problem, uh, the size of the population of the city is not a causal factor. So, so what do we know about, or what do you speculate about, again, what are the, what are the, the, uh, the, the causal factors? What do we know, for example, right. about, about poverty? What do we know about rates of unemployment? What do we know about other socioeconomic factors that we think are perhaps feeding into these statistics? Right. Those are great questions, Kim. In fact, are you an epidemiologist in secret? Uh, well, don't, don't tell anyone, but okay. I have a lot of secret lives, Dr. Yeah. Rittman, and maybe epidemiology is one of them. Right. <laughs> anyway, to, to answer your question, which is the next question and, and the perfectly important and logical one, is we, we looked at seven uh, characteristics of these cities, of each of the 25 cities, and one of them was population size, and in fact, there was no relationship at all mm-hmm. between the population size of a city and its disparity. Uh, there was, however, a very strong uh, relationship between the poverty of a city and its disparity. Mm. So a very strong relationship, as we say, statistically significant relationship. And we measure poverty in two different ways. One was by the median household income, mm-hmm. and another was by the percent of people living below the poverty level. Okay. And they were both in different ways uh, related to the disparity. And then we also found out another very important variable was a measure of segregation in the city. Hmm. And so the more segregated the city is, uh, the higher the disparity. Again, now this is overall, there could be an exception or two sure. among the 25 cities, but overall among the 25 cities, uh, the strongest measure of the disparity, the variable that correlated most strongly with the disparity was uh, segregation. And if we think about it, say, I know Chicago best, I live here, uh, the way that works is that people are not only segregated by neighborhood, but all of the medical facilities tend not to be in the poor neighborhoods, which in Chicago are also the black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if one draws uh, the communities in Chicago that have the highest death rates and then also shades in on that same map uh, the places where the medical facilities are, Mm. they're most often in separate communities. Mm. And so this sort of segregation, which has to do with the medical facilities, with the presence of doctors in the community and on and on like that, uh, is uh, a function of segregation. And the final variable that was related to uh, the disparity, although um, a little less uh, significantly and less potently than segregation, was whether there was income inequality in the city. 
And the more income inequality there was, the larger the disparity. So those were the main variables that were related to the disparity of the median household income in a city, uh, the percent of the population living below poverty, uh, the, a measure of segregation, and the income inequality. And what? And we've only got a quick minute here till uh, till the break, Dr. Whitman. But what what can you tell us about income inequality versus poverty? Uh, well, um, they're both important, and both yeah. about have about the same level of significance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and all of these things, of course, are in turn are in turn related to each other. So, right. you know, poverty and income inequality, of course, go hand in hand. And so, what we found was that those variables um, tended to be the ones that were related to the disparity. To the disparity. Gosh, it's so uh, it's so fascinating. I guess it's intuitive. Um, I guess it's shocking on one level, but intuitive on another level um, to 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 hear what you're saying. And, and and maybe I am in secret an epidemiologist because I keep wanting to just drill down, you know, on on the on, on why because um, it's just so interesting how all these things uh, are are interconnected. Right. Uh, this is yeah yeah. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about racial disparities in breast cancer and a fascinating study that uh, really dives in to racial disparities in 25 cities um, around the United States and really trying to understand what are the factors that are contributing to racial disparities in these 25 cities uh, around the country. And we're going to hear a little bit more um, about uh, how the study was conducted and also what are some of the next steps. And and, uh, and, and Dr. Whitman, I want to circle back to Memphis and perhaps the interest in in, in some other cities. We're going to take a quick break here and we will be right back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today I'm joined by Mark Horlbert and Dr. Stephen Whitman. We're talking about the role race plays in the differences of death uh, rates in, in breast cancer. Uh, we began our discussion focusing on what health disparity means and some of the sort of underlying factors around that. We, we've discussed the, uh, the reasons um, to, to focus on some of these differences in, uh, you know, in, in death between uh, white women, between black women. We want to drill down a little bit more uh, uh, about this study and, and, um, and, and continue this discussion. Um, Dr. Whitman, we, you know, we talked about you know, cities like, like, like New York with a population of, of, of over 8 million, San Francisco, seven, eight hundred thousand cities where you are, Chicago, uh, in the ballpark of what, 2.7, 2.7 million. So we're talking about percentages, ratios, some pretty big numbers. 
but it, let's say in a city like Chicago, what does this mean? What does this mean in, in real terms, uh, in terms of deaths, and and uh, uh, what we can be doing to to kind of prevent some of what we're seeing uh, in the study? Right. Well, I, I think that's perhaps the the most important question uh, is what does it really mean? Yeah. Now, it it turns out that. Um, because of this difference in rates, because of this disparity, we've been able to calculate, again, it's, it's pretty hard, but, but we've been able to do it, that in the United States as a whole, if we start with the United States, um, each year, every year, uh, roughly 1,700, that is 1,700 women die because of this disparity. That is 1,700 black women die who wouldn't die if black women had the same death rates as white women. Mm. And, you know, if you divide that by 365, you, you, you get, uh, you know, roughly five deaths a day. Mm. So in the United States, every day, you know, roughly four or five uh, black women die because of this disparity. And wow. then um, we were able to uh, to do the same calculation for other cities. So in Chicago, the number each um, uh, each year is 76 black women dying because of this disparity. And if you break that down, that's about one and a half black women a week. Mm. And then we were able to go through for all the rest of the cities and make the same calculation. So I think, right. you know, it's a crucial point, Kim, that... I know when people like me talk about numbers, <laughs> sometimes people tend to doze off and fall asleep. But these are much more than numbers. These are lives that we're talking about, real life you know, lives, our mothers, our daughters, our aunts, and sisters, and so on. And there are people who are dying. You see, they don't – the thing is – they don't need to die because if we know how to achieve low rates for white women, right. we know how to achieve them for black women. Sure. But the question is we've not yet been able to bring those resources, to make those resources available for black women. Right. And so many of them are dying needlessly. And, and are we talking, and, Dr. Whitman, primarily about screening, about early detection? I mean, let's, you know. Well, that and treatment. And treatment. So it's both, it's both early detection in terms of screening with mammography, for example. Uh, and in, across the United States, there are uh, programs that pay for mammograms for poor women, but generally, the agencies that are really doing the heavy listing here are, are the, uh, foundations like the Avon Breast Cancer Foundation. Uh, the, the federal agencies that provide these programs are shrinking. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know if people quite realize it, but when they caught a, they talk about cutting social programs, this yeah. is what they're talking about. They're talking about eliminating mammograms for poor women, in this right. case for women of color, for black women who couldn't otherwise afford them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes, it, it, you know, with everybody screaming and yelling at each other about tax cuts and, and, and all of that, I think, you know, the humanity of it, the, the, the face of real-life people, in this case real-life women, right. gets lost in the middle of all of this. So uh, we need to restore and expand these programs. I mean, if you think about it and take a step back, and here comes the preacher in me, you know, I, I think how have we managed to create a society in which a uh, life-saving technology like mammography uh, isn't available to all women who need it? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, it's quite extraordinary. And how would we all feel if it was our mothers, say, yeah. or for those of us old enough like me, our daughters, yes. you know, who couldn't get a mammogram? I mean, it's it's just completely backwards. I mean, we just shouldn't be allowing such a thing to happen. Well, and I think what you're saying about the treatment piece is so important as well, because what I think a lot of people don't understand is that the Medicaid program, which is the program for the poor for, uh, at the, you know, at the state level, you know, those, that, the Medicaid program is run by the states. And the fact of the matter is there are 50 states in the country. So there are basically 50 different programs that we as advocates need to monitor 
to do what we can to, to preserve and protect and even expand access to cutting-edge treatments for, for these women that you're that's describing. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. And instead, the exact opposite is happening. That's right. I mean, states are now cutting back on Medicaid to save money. That's right. I mean, we keep, you know, we keep getting, you know, we have 57 affiliates around the country, and we keep getting these emails and notes and letters saying, hey, looks like our state Medicaid program is trying to cut access to this drug or that drug or access to this chemotherapy, or they're only going to pay for generics in cancer, or a patient with cancer can only have five drugs, which is just a random number. Um, and so we're constantly out there trying to fight that fight at the state level with 50 states and 50 different Medicaid programs. Yeah, and nothing could be more important than that. I mean, here in Illinois, I, I just don't know. I don't think Illinois is particularly worse, but here in Illinois, for example, uh, there are some women who have to make a decision about whether they should get chemotherapy and fight their breast cancer, uh, but not be able to work, or whether they should continue to work and feed their family. Yeah. So just imagine, you know, the incredibly awful situation of having to choose between feeding your family and getting treatment for your breast cancer. So what we've proposed is a simple solution. We've just proposed, well, when you're undergoing treatment for breast cancer, that should be considered a disability, sure. and you should be allowed to collect disability insurance. Yeah. It's as easy as it could be, and that solves the whole problem. Right. But, of course, you know, that's being cut back as well. And so, in fact, if these cutbacks continue, uh, one can only expect that these disparities will get worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. Are you seeing, Dr. Whitman, are you seeing other, um, I mean, because obviously the stu this study that you've done is, is um, quite monumental. Are you seeing other research in this area? Are there other folks doing research um, on these topics? Is the government doing research centers for disease control? Um, I mean, you know, how, did you, how did you guys envision this study, and, 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 and how did you really go about, about executing it? Because it is a, it's, it's pretty complex. Yeah. Well, sadly, um, those other agencies see, I mean, this is not a criticism of CDC, but CDC is not doing this analysis. Mm -hmm. And these other cities are not doing this analysis. I mean, several of them have called us and have been shocked. And so we've talked to them all we could. We sent them all our data and on and on and on. But it is ironic that in the end, this only exists because the Avon Breast Cancer Foundation has funded the work. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, what that means is that all these other cities, their health departments are not doing this. You know, so why should it be that a comparatively small group like the Sinai Urban Health Institute, I mean, I think we're excellent and do quality, very high-quality work, yeah. but we can only do it because Avon has funded us. Mm -hmm. And so, in a sense, Avon is patching the holes uh, that should be filled by local city health departments. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why isn't the Memphis Health Department doing this? Why isn't the Denver Health Department doing it? And on and on and on like that. So uh, I think we're excited and, and honored to be able to provide this data to cities throughout the country, but really every city should be doing this. I mean, the reason many of them aren't is because they're being cut back as well. Right. And so, when so what one, would you yeah. see? So look at a city like you're going down to Memphis, right. Dr. Whitman and uh, Mark. What do you guys see as an opportunity? And so this was obviously a wake-up call in some regard for a city like Memphis. They were surprised to see the data on their very own city. You're going, you're going down there. Is this simply a matter of money? I mean, what, what do you think is the pr proposal? What is, is it, what is the solution to, to help them, you know, not be in, the, in, in that worst uh, ranking in the country? But this is, I can chime in first, Steve. This is Mark. And yes. so, you know, I think that we'll, we need to find out what, what are some of the key issues. I mean, some of the things could be similar to, to what Dr. Whitman has already identified in Chicago. You know, is it access to mammography? Are, are women able to access it? Are they utilizing it? Um, but, you know, one mammogram is not the same as the other. So is it, are they accessing high-quality screenings? You know, mm -hmm. who's reading that, that mammogram? Is it someone, uh, a general radiologist that reads, you know, broken ankles one day and breast mammograms the next, or is it a dedicated breast imager? Got it. Um, you know, if that uh, mammogram's abnormal, um, how are they able to access, you know, a diagnostic to determine, you know, a biopsy to determine if it's cancer or not? You know, what's the delay between the abnormal screen and, and getting it confirmed if it's cancer or not? And then, you know, if it's cancer, 
or are they able to access treatments, much like you just talked about with Medicaid cuts and things? Yes. And then even beyond that, what support do they have, you know, like, like programs like yours? What, what support is available, um, you know, for them to get through cancer and to survive and thrive, you know? So mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll learn a lot on our visit. Um, I think this is just the starting point, but I, but I think we can, can learn a great deal about where there might be bottlenecks in their system or things are broken down in the system. Um, right. you know, from the Avon Foundation perspective, it's nice for us to, to learn where the issues are because then we can you know, target our investments towards the critical areas you know, to hopefully break up some of the bottlenecks. Right, right. So we've got a, just a minute till we go to our break here, but, but what, anything we know about San Francisco in terms of why, why they did um, so well why, in, the, in this ranking? I don't have. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dr. Whitman, do we know anything about San Francisco? Um, no, that was me who just said that. Oh, I'm know. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But I, I think the really nice thing about an analysis like this is that it raises more questions than it answers, Kim. Right. And I, I think, you know, you've honed in on several of them. And so I think what this study... I'm hoping it, it will become right. is, a, is a starting point, you right. know, a way of, as you said, drilling down yep. and a way of beginning to find answers. I mean, wouldn't it be great if now we could study San Francisco, see what right. they do better, sure, and then transport that or export that to other cities? Right. That's what I'm trying to get at. So, so how do we, you know, how do we, how do we call out sort of those best practices in some of these cities that are doing well? What can we learn um, about those that, you know, what can we take that, that we've learned from a San Francisco and apply it in, you know, in, uh, in Memphis? Yeah. Um, right. Another point is, you know, our study was, is one point in time. And so a, yeah. a crucial thing going forward will be to look at trends and does this change over time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, what, and what, what would be contributing you know, to to, uh, to those changes over time. What's what's changing, you know, in the country, in the city, in the dynamic, and in resourcing that could you know potentially lead to um, uh, you know to, to a positive change, or you know, on the flip side, what you know what's happening that could uh, that could uh, lead to a city you know kind of sinking, <laughs> um, you know, in their in their ranking uh, in their ranking on the list, but. Um, I uh, I can imagine you guys did when once the once the study was published that you guys did get some interesting phone calls um, from some of these cities who might be a little bit surprised um, at where they do sit in the ranking and and uh, I I personally am pleased that they're reaching out to you um, to come and, and and discuss what could be done uh, to to make some improvements uh, for these women um, we're we're coming up to our break here this is frankly speaking about cancer we've been talking about racial disparities in um, uh, in breast cancer and really highlighting a wonderful study um, that was done to start to drill down on these disparities in 25 uh, cities in the country. We're going to take a quick break here and we're going to be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. I'm joined today by Mark Hurlbert and Stephen Whitman. We're talking about racial disparities and the impact um, on breast cancer mortality. We've discussed the findings from their paper. Uh, it's titled The Racial Disparity in Breast Cancer Mortality in the 25 Largest Cities in the United States. And we've learned a great deal about the role race uh, uh, plays in the diagnosis of cancer. Um, in, in the final segment here, we've got a, a, a few more minutes together. I want to focus on the implications um, and, and some key r- recommendations as, as, uh, as we continue to look at this um, important uh, important research. So, Mark, let me let me go to you. So, based on the research, and and Mark, I mean, look, but you know, based on all of the work that uh, that you've done at the Avon Foundation over these many many years, what's from a practical standpoint? What's the takeaway from this study and from your work at the foundation today? What do we want to tell women that they can do today? What tips can we give them to take care of their uh, to take care of their breast health? To um, to get that addressed and um, and to be educated and empowered patients and consumers. That's exactly what's going to be my first point. So I think you know it's really interesting. You know, there's news this year about you know there's uh, too much pink ribbon and and this kind of thing that everyone's aware of breast cancer. And yes, I'd I'd argue that probably most of society knows what a pink ribbon means. But are they educated about you know what is their risk of breast cancer? Are they educated about the fact that there are a fair amount of uh, government or foundation-funded, you know, free, high-quality mammograms. So what, what could a woman do today? What could your listeners do today? Um, I think, you know, first off, it it is to demand, uh, you know, access to high-quality screening. So you, every woman deserves the right to go get a digital mammogram and a high-quality mammogram. She should look at centers that uh, are reputable and ha- have um, are known for their quality. And Steve, I'll, I'll let you comment on that in a second. Um, yeah, because that's you know, important. What that what that means? What that what questions people should be asking to know if it's a quality screening facility? Absolutely. So, so I'll let Steve comment on that. Um, but you know, if something's abnormal, then they can't let it go. They need to have follow up. And again, um, some cities, uh, some institutions have you know this new role of a patient navigator on staff that would help mm-hmm. anyone with an abnormal um, then access what's needed up uh, to follow up if it, to determine if it's really cancer or not. And but women need to know that that exists. You know, um, there are individual tips you can take your, uh, on your own at home. One is just know your risk if you have family history or not. Again, most cases do not have any family history; they're sporadic and just show up without any history or hereditary nature to it. Um, you know, there are individual things you can do. Um, you know, women should watch their weight, um, weight and weight gain, especially as women go through menopause and after menopause, is one of the strongest risk factors for breast cancer. Um, you know, we we know now. We didn't know this, you know, five or ten years ago, but we know now that hormone replacement therapy that women take sometimes to alleviate some of the symptoms of menopause um, does increase your risk. And so, doctors today recommend you know that you take hormone replacement therapy for as short a time as possible. And then, uh, you know, women should discuss with their doctors alternatives. So there are things you can do. Um, you know, again the. Uh, it's still not exactly known, but uh, getting exercise and the American Cancer Society recommends women engage in at least 45 minutes of physical activity at least five days a week. So, again, exercise not only tied to weight, but there's benefits of stress reduction and moving and getting out there. You know, people, I think, think more often of weight and diet and exercise when they think of heart disease or diabetes. Mm-hmm. But it is a real risk factor for cancer and uh, breast cancer in specific. Um, and then... You know, tips for for younger women. You know, if they um, if a if a younger woman is uh, pregnant and has a child, um, one of the things they can do is make sure that they breastfeed. Uh, breastfeeding uh, helps the breast itself fully mature, and it's part of the the natural process. So, if you have a child, if possible, breastfeed. And there are recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics on that, and that is to try to nurse the baby within the first hour after giving birth or the first few hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, women should not supplement with formula while they're still in the hospital after giving birth. And again, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends breastfeeding exclusively for at least the first six months, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's challenging for working women. They can pump and this kind of thing. But again, just to, to get the breast fully functioning as it should physiologically. And then, you know, again, just a last sort of lifestyle tip is you know, we do know now from several, you know, epidemiologic studies that alcohol use is associated with the increased risk of breast cancer. So, um, your regular consumption of one or more drinks a day, every day of the week, increases a woman's risk. So, 
I think a public health message could be to cut back. If you choose to, to drink wine and, and have a cocktail, you know, cut back and try not to do so every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think... That's know, the bad news for today, Mark. That's, that's the bad the... News. <laughs> <laughs> but All these things apply to, you know, all these tips you can empower yourself today apply to the whole population, but they also do apply for, to cancer survivors. So you don't want to have a recurrence coming back. So, But I think uh, the, the issue about quality is, is a is a key one as well. And Steve, I don't know if you want to mention things a woman could ask uh, the mammography facility or things they should be asking when they're looking for high-quality places to go and get screened. Right. Well, I, I think, Mark, you've, you've mentioned some of them earlier. I mean, it's, you know, there are some places where general radiologists read uh, a mammogram and other places where people who have been, who specialize in reading mammograms read them. So a woman can ask, you know, who the readers are at the given institution, whether they're experts in mammography or just general radiologists. And again, there's variability, but the more training a person has, uh, clearly the better off uh, that person will be in, in, in being able to interpret a mammogram. And that has to do with other things like how many cancers they find when they look at, at, at mammography film and so on. So I think understanding that is important. It's hard. It's not easy to find out those characteristics of a medical center. But to the extent it's possible, then that would be a wise caution as well. Great. And so, one other ahead, point Mark. I would yeah. throw in is, you know, about 70% of facilities across the country today have digital mammography, and that number is improving every day, even even at the hospitals that traditionally care for uninsured women. Uh, thanks to Avon Foundation and other, other groups' support, many of them are converting to digital mammography, and that hopefully will empower them to have access to dedicated breast imagers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think these are all all great tips and 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 um, and important tips. And again, as, as you're suggesting, there's an opportunity today for women to get educated to to, to take action um, in terms of taking control of their health and and, uh, and you know and their bodies. And um, you know, as you said, Dr. Whitman, and you know, putting this in real terms, we're talking about thousands of deaths, uh, unnecessary deaths every year because of the disparities. Um, right. That, that we've been discussing yeah. today, and it is it is it is um, uh, frustrating and heartbreaking to know that the, the the means and the methods and the technologies are uh, are out there. They've been discovered and developed, and they're being utilized. And it and it's um, it is a, it is an absolute injustice that there are folks in our society that that do not have access um, uh, to this to you know to these life saving screening tools. Um, and I think that that you know it's 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 um, uh, it's fascinating to hear about the study and to drill down on and to understand it and look at some of these different cities and look at the disparities. But I think most importantly, what we're doing today is really educating folks, um, you know, to take those actions, to look for ways to find access to the screening and to take their health um, uh, into their into their own hands. Um, and uh, so I think that's critical. Just a minute or two left here, but um, Dr. Whitman, what, what's what's the next study? What's uh, What's on the horizon? What else do we want to learn? Well, I think we I think we need to just continue to build on this kind of information. Mark said earlier, and it's a very important observation, that this is just one point in time. So I think it would be wonderful to look at all these 25 cities and study them over time as we've yeah. been able to do for Chicago. So if there's a disparity that we've revealed in this paper, what does that disparity look like since, say, um, 1980 through 2010? How has mm-hmm. that changed over time? So that's very important. Mm-hmm. Another thing is we've just been talking about mortality, but not how frequently women get breast cancer, which is what we call the incidence of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So it'd be fascinating to study the incidence of breast cancer and then to see how that correlates with mortality rates. Mm-hmm. And then finally, and as you said, Kim, I, uh, several times, and I think it, it couldn't be more important is what do we learn about all of this? I mean, how do, you know, when we go to Memphis, what do we learn there? When we go right. to San Francisco, what do we learn there? What do we learn from Chicago and New York and all these other places? I do think, you know, we have at our disposal a lot of information, yeah. and I'm hoping that we could marshal the information and, and begin to understand more how to mm-hmm. defeat this dreaded disease. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate both of you joining uh, today, um, Dr. Stephen Whitman, Dr. Mark Holbert. You, I'm, I'm glad we're I'm glad we're on the same team together, trying to uh, uh, educate folks and get this information out and uh, into the world. Um, I, I want to mention to folks we've just released our new book at the Cancer Support Community called Reclaiming Your Life After Diagnosis. Um, you can find it on Amazon.com or go to our website, CancerSupportCommunity.org, to learn more um, about the book that I have. Uh, the the uh, honor of co-authoring with my colleague, Dr. Mitch Gallant. Um, if you or someone you know has been diagnosed with cancer, you don't have to face cancer alone. Uh, re- reach out to us at the Cancer Support Community. We've got uh, centers around the country, 57 centers, support groups, uh, an online community, lots going on, free services for people with all cancers, uh, for their family members and loved ones. Uh, visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks for joining us, for frankly speaking about cancer. Until next time, be well. Do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support